Radio. This is Catholics Read on cradio.org.au. Welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Kiara. And I'm Victoria. And this week we are continuing our trek into C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. Uh, however, this week we're probably going to look more at uh, the individual stories, uh, the and individual the characters people you meet in this throughout book. this. Uh, so just as a recap, in case you didn't hear the last episode, um, C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce is a story uh, about a man who has died. Uh, and is in a state of between heaven and hell of sorts. It's a bit, it's a bit so interesting. Purgatory. But he's, he's in a state of purgatory. Um, but this purgatory, he's caught a bus, gone to this mysterious world on the side of a cliff, uh, which turns out to be heaven, and he's kind of rejected uh, by the environment here, and he has to slowly try and come to terms with it. Uh, and it's about the stories of all the people he meets in who, the attempt of the, the saints. Yeah, in the yeah. attempt of the saints to try and uh, get them to to get into heaven. Um, that's a really strange description of the book. But anyway, that was the best I could do. Yeah, it's, um, it's a really weird book. It's not very long. Highly recommend you read it. Read it. Yeah, read, yeah. It, read it right now. No, don't read it right now. Don't read it'll... it right now. It will take you about right a day or so. Yeah. Really, if you yeah, devote it's... yourself to it. And it, I mean, in st- stylistically, it's kind of like somewhere between The Man Who Was Thursday and Dante's Inferno. Yeah, that's pretty much yeah. it. And we're kind of looking more at the Dante's Inferno side of things Elements today of it, with yes. like the the specific um the specific stories. So, I don't know, does anyone have a burning desire to um I was to just, go first? I was rereading through this on the train this morning on my way here, and one of the stories that jumped out at me was the very first character that you meet who is tried who is approached by a saint and who tries to sort of who tries to sort of convince them to see is the poet? No, not the poet. The um, the big tall dude. The big tall dude. The big what, what's tall his dude. What's his deal? His deal is is that you know I'm just a I'm just a humble working class oh, man, and guy. you know yeah, I've got yeah. my rights I've same as you. Rights, yes. and so he's like the bo- he was like a, he seems like he was a construction like a foreman or something. Yeah, I think he was a foreman on a factory floor somewhere something or in a construction like that, yeah. site, and um, he had a lot of people under him and. All that sort of stuff. And um, he is encountered by someone he used to work with who is now in heaven and a saint. And it turns out that... Who was a murderer. Yeah. <laughs> turns out this guy murdered someone else. Yeah. Um, the, murdered the, another the, one the of them. The saint was a murderer. The saint was, a, mur- it was yeah. a murderer. And this guy just can't get over the fact that the murderer is here and he is not there. And he... Mm. Yeah. And it, it's... The conversation... I mean, I'm trying to find the conversation wherever it was. Hang on a second. Um, because it's quite interesting... Um, While Kiara is looking, it's interesting to note that the one of the main themes running through all the stories is that most characters just can't let go of something, just just one thing, a lot of the time. And you know whether it goes towards their downfall or their, you know, eventual entering into heaven is is the crux on which every story uh, hangs. So you found it? Yes, I found it. I found it. I found it. Um, 
Look at me now, said the ghost, slapping his chest, but the slap made no noise. I've gone straight all my life. I don't say I was a religious man. I don't say I had no faults. Far from it. But I'd done my best all my life, see? I'd done my best by everyone, and that's the sort of chap I was. I never asked for anything that wasn't mine by rights. If I wanted a drink, I paid for it, and if I took my wages, I'd done my job, see? That's the sort I was, and I don't care who knows it. Um, and basically, Jack, who is the um, who is the saint, talking to him, um, you know, basically you know, says to him, I, it'd be much better not to go on about that now. Who's going on? I'm not arguing. I'm just telling you the sort of chap I was, see? I'm asking for nothing but my rights. You may think you can put me down because you're dressed up like that, which you weren't when you worked under me, and I'm only a poor man, but I got my rights same as you, see? And he, but this conversation goes back and forward, basically like this, and Jack's just trying to. It's like a brick wall. Yeah, yeah. he's like, to, like talk about stonewalling. <clears throat> like this guy just can't see the fact he he refuses to see the fact that he, you know, it's a false humility that he's got. You know, it's a you know, oh, if I say I'm a humble man, you know, I'm a poor man, but I'm the same as you. That's kind of like it's it's a it's a false it's a false humility. And he can't move past that to recognise, you know, he's like, you know, um, and, you know, he goes on, you know, I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anyone's bleeding charity. And that's the, <laughs> that's it, that's it, that's it there. And that's why, he, that's why he eventually, you know, refuses Jack's offer to go, you know, to be escorted up the mountain. And, you know, he ends up, and ends up with going, damn, and blast a whole pack of you. In the end, still grumbling but whimpering also. A little as it pricked, as he as it pricked his way over the gr- sharp grasses. Like, sorry, the grasses are really sharp. Yeah, yeah. The whole the whole yeah. world in the, the, you know all these people, all these you know new souls coming into this new world are ghosts, mm. shadows of themselves. And so, heaven is so beautifully and perfectly real. It's actually quite painful to experience. Um, he says, "I'll go home now. I'm not going to go sniveling along, charity tied to your apron strings." So mm. you know. How many people do we know who are like that? It's it's a resentment. It's um it's, it's a, so many, it's so many parables of our Lord put in one. Yeah, it's the it's um, pride. It's it's pride. a false sense of entitlement as it's well. False, it's, so it's like it's almost like combining the um the older the older son uh, in the parable. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. what it's like. And it's also with that combining it with. Because at least the at least the older son seems to have been like he's done he's done his he's done what's right. But his problem is, is he refuses to, to want heart. to see someone else yeah. do um, the right thing too, even after they've done the very wrong thing. And yeah. there's yeah. Um, there's the parable of the um, of the workers in the vineyard how yeah, he goes who goes out to the market and gets all the people at nine the, in the morning and then, and then it... gets them like half an hour before the sun goes down and they all get paid the same price and yeah. the guys early in the morning are like what's that about yeah and also the parable of the talents he's like the the man who buries the talent yeah because he says oh I'm not I wasn't religious and I didn't do all these fantastic things but I did I did what was you know what was expected I was, of me. I was an honest man and that kind of, well I mean I guess you know I, I have to so you're not the worst see, person in the yeah, world but <laughs> and the sad thing is he had a good groundwork I think to perhaps become a holy actually humble man but he decided to talents. stay at the bottom nay like you know lower ground level instead of keep working up yeah, and it's almost—it's like, like you said, it's this sense of entitlement that it's almost like, well, you all know, I need I to do is the bare minimum, and not do I do, if I know. do the bare minimum, that's my ticket, right? But we don't right? even know that he did the bare minimum because he seemed to have been a fairly awful boss, and 
done all these yeah, sort of things. Yeah, and apparently like, oh, pretty awful to his wife and children too, you know. Yeah, yeah. But he's like, oh, but I didn't murder someone, so I'm okay. I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't excuse you being mean to everybody. It all, And, of course, as the, the term bleeding charity there, I mean, is a very, um, like, when you look at it, you're a bit like, what what's that? But it's, it's a very um, rich term and unintentionally on the part of the character but yeah, perhaps on the part entirely of C.S. Lewis, Lewis. <laughs> um, rich character because uh, it's the cross is bleeding, bleeding charity, charity literally and there's this sense of the, if you don't accept that charity if you want to do this all on your own that it's almost like you know paying your taxes or turning up to vote or something like that but it's not. It's not like that, you know. There's this this need to accept the mercy of God um, and the charity and of others. That. Yeah. That's why we're encouraged to ask the saints to pray for us, to ask our friends to pray for us, to ask for advice. Like, there's no way you can get to heaven just yeah. you know all on your onesies. But yeah. there's, we you need do a whole to ask for help. Just that one guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like so seriously, like it. there's there's so much to it. But we should probably you know pick another. Move on to the others. Um, pick up, pick someone else to. Yeah, yeah I guess for, I'll, I'll leave. I know who you're going to mention. Yeah, I, I think I know. Everyone who you're, knows we'll, my we'll favorite. We'll leave but, that to last. Yeah, because um, that's really good. Um, but I know your favorite as well. So do that one. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll do that one. Um, which <laughs> you said it was your least. It's my least favorite. I didn't like it. I thought it was fantastic. It's the the bishop. Bishop, the Episcopalian bishop. Oh, um, I didn't say I didn't like it. It was just my least favorite because they're all like, they're all they're incredible. All no, the reason why the reason why I liked this, okay, I should explain <laughs> what it is and then explain. So it's this. Um, you you don't find out he's a bishop until like halfway through the conversation. Um, <laughs> you but, don't find out who most of these people were till about halfway through the conversation. It's like you know suddenly you're going like, what's going on? Where? Because like he just throws you into the middle of a conversation. You have no context. Yeah, and then you have to kind of like pick up. Yeah, whatever. Sort of like, assume knowledge that everybody knows because it's like yeah, it's like literally being dropped into the middle of a conversation. It's like when you're on the train and you, you yeah, overhear overhear a conversation. Like I wish I knew what they were talking yeah. about yeah. because. So this this fellow here, um, what's his name? Let's find out. Um, anyway, we'll just call them the bishop and the other guy. Um, the other guy, I don't think it's ever quite made clear what he is. But this bishop is a is a theologian and a liberal theologian at that. Um, and the, the large problem that he has is that he just is so... It's it's really funny, actually, that this guy is... He's made it into heaven, but he refuses to believe... That it exists. That it exists. <laughs> because he's like, well, it can't possibly exist. I mean, that would be... Ter- like, it's... this. I, I don't even know where to begin with it. It's just quite... It's quite yeah. funny. But at the same... T- okay, I'll... I'll actually go into it. Yeah, pull out a few. Pull out a few. <laughs> I'll try and find a quote. Anyway, it, the, there's this conversation between um, what I presume is either his friend from college or from the seminary, uh, or his younger. I can't quite work out. And this bishop can't seem to come to grips with the idea that there's heaven and hell, and that they're actual places. And that something is required to get into heaven. And I it's think. really funny and because he keeps talking about it as a spiritual reality. Yeah, he keeps and talking about these things as like vague notions, vague notions that can't possibly. And it's almost like it's it's this guy has come to face to face with it and refuses to believe that it exists, even though it's staring him straight in the face. And as the conversation goes on, this this guy um, on the other the other side, the saint, um, is talking about how you know it was all very well and good when we were young to have these you know these conversations about uh, speculation. 
uh, about the the nature of heaven and hell and all those kinds of things. But at some point in our lives, we need to we need to solidify. We need to say, no, this is what is real, and this is not what is real. And the bishop is refusing to say that. And it's because ultimately he's turned religion and turned faith into an intellectual sport. This is the classic point for it. Um, <laughs> I wonder if you're going to mention what this I was going to mention. Well, it's obvious by now, isn't it, that you weren't that you weren't quite right. So this is the bishop talking to his uh, talking to his interloper. Why, my dear boy, you were coming to believe in a literal heaven and hell, but wasn't I right? Oh, in a spiritual sense, to be sure. I still believe in them that way. I am still, my dear boy, looking for the kingdom, but nothing superstitious or mythological. Excuse me, but where do you imagine you've been? Ah, <laughs> like, oh, you see, you mean that grey town where it's continual hope of mourning. We must all live by hope, must we not? And with its field for indefinite progress, in a sense. Heaven, if only we have eyes to see it, that is a beautiful idea. Like, the intellect, like, the way he's thought him, the, 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 the train, the... the system of thought that he's built and carefully constructed over the years is literally condemning him to hell and oblivion. Mm. Mm. And it's this, so <laughs> as the conversation goes on, it's it's revealed that, as I mentioned, throughout his life, he seems to um, have, to use the terms here, a thirst for the truth. But his he never actually wants to arrive at the truth. No. He wants it to he leave wants it the there. Truth. He wants the truth as... He wants it to be rather than how it actually is or, you know, it's almost fearful. Mm. And he says, you know, there was a time when you asked questions because you wanted answers and were glad when you found them. Become that child again, even now. And I think that for me, the reason why I found this to be such a fantastic section is because, again, we're talking about this being an examination of conscience, but I have to remember at times that, you know, doing philosophy and theology and those kinds of things... Am I doing these because I want to attain truth and because I want to live that truth? Or am I doing them in the same way that someone plays cards? Mm. You know, I'm as just gaming a, the system, you know, I'm just try- I'm trying to play the game. Not, not even trying to play the game, but like it's simply being a hobby, it not being really real to you. Um, this is a terrifying thing because, and I think it really speaks to, I guess, the intellectual side of the faith that at the end of the day, the intellectual side there is meant to complement your relationship with Christ. It's meant to complement the reality that is God and his desire for you to get to heaven. Those things are real. It's almost like being a political philosopher and never actually wanting to get into, like, political decisions. Yeah. Never actually making a political decision. You never actually it for ages, and going into debates. By and the saying, way, oh, that's I'm right, and they're never actually acting on it. By the way, that's actually what most political theorists do, to be quite honest. And I mean, I know this because I'm actually in the field at the moment, studying international relations. Like international relations as a discipline has been accused of that numerous times over the century. You know, numerous times over the century of its existence. That all you do is sit around in your white ivory towers at university telling everybody what to think, mm. but you're not actually facing the, re- the realities of what the consequences of that train of thought is. Yeah. And there's this, um, there's <laughs> this funny joke, and it's, it's um, applied to either communists or capitalists um, <laughs> at various points, whoever's telling the joke. But the joke goes that oh, there's an economist it- who, who goes into a room and explains, um, explains that he's, um, he's, he's developed this new economic theory and he's implemented it 
um, and it seems to be working. It seems to be working fantastically. Uh-oh. And the, the, uh, the head economists say, oh, yes, well, it works It works fine in practice, but does it work in theory? <laughs> it almost seems like that because what's happening here is that when you abstract reality, that is that Christ came and died for us and desires for us to be in heaven with him, into simply a game of intellectual chess, um, What's the point? I mean, what's the point? Reality is real. It's also inhuman. Yeah. I'd actually argue it's actually also entirely inhuman to abstract every, you know, to, uh, you know, abstract the spiritual and intellectual realities that we, because they're they're part of who we are. Like, Mm. the human tendency has always been to either, um, has always been, it's been one of two extremes. It's to spiritualize that which is physical or to physicalize that which is spiritual. And we've gone, and we go both ways simultaneously in very, you know, at various points over history. And this is the classic case in point of spiritualizing or intellectualizing that which is real mm. to the point where it, its existence becomes so. It's it's almost like you could be. Blah. It doesn't even really matter that you're talking about theology. You could be talking about whatever. It could football. be gardening. Yeah, could be anything. Yeah, like you could be talking about. It's that. so it loses. It's like it. You know, like you know, humanity is enfleshed. You know, the inca- You know, Christ is incarnated. That means he came in the flesh. Mm. Flesh is not bad. We can't throw it away. It's a part of our reality, and we need to constantly ground our intellectual and spiritual disciplines in. A, in a way that makes sense to us, which is a fleshy way. Mm. There's nothing mm. bad about that. Yeah. As as another story illustrates, which is the guy struggling with lust. Yeah, which... We'll get to later. We'll, we'll get to we'll, Which we'll get to later. But the final, the final point I want to make about this is that I guess the um, all these criticisms that I've mentioned thus far are at a kind of intellectualizer. Not that intellectualizing is a bad thing, but an no. over-intellectualization of the faith to the point where it... It's not really about the faith anymore, but potentially about one's own ego uh, and one's one's own intellectual ego. And who can make the nicest, most neatest theory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that may not actually correspond with, with reality. Um, now, my last point is more of a criticism I think C.S. Lewis has towards the liberal side, I guess. Yes, it's very, it's very obvious debate. criticism. It's, it's very <laughs> obvious criticism. It's, really, it's a really obvious criticism. And it's this kind of idea, it harks back to what we were talking about when we first started talking about this character. And it's this idea of the tolerance, the kind yeah. of tolerance thing that it's like a, a, a non-committal attitude. Like, oh, you know, we can't really talk about these things and we can't really say this. You know, like, it all seems really nice and that. But the fact of the matter is, is it's not real. Yeah. Like, it's not it's not real to say that um, that these things, oh, you know, let's just leave those hard basket issues over there. Because the fact of the, uh, the, fact of the matter is... They're the ones that matter. Is that we have to... Yeah, we mm. have to talk about it. Okay, there are absolutely certain things in theology and, and philosophy that we can't talk about. We'll never arrive at a conclusion to them in this life. But we can't do that necessarily with everything. No, because no. it denies revelation. Well, but not only plain and simple. But not only that. That's just the essence of life here on earth: is to wrestle and to grapple with the things that are in the too hard basket. Because mm-hmm. they're usually the ones that matter. They're usually about love. They're usually about sexuality. They're usually about who, what it means to be human. Mm. And, we and heaven have, and hell. You know, and, and the, the after. You know, yeah. and the afterlife, and the and you know what's going to happen after we die. Like those, you can't ignore those. You have to wrestle with them. Mm. 
you know, in your own, yeah, sure, in your own way. That's fine. Everybody has a different process around that. But at the same time, you can't just sit there and go, oh, oh, that's, no, 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 that's not polite to talk about that. Or, you know, that's that's just going to offend people. And we don't want to offend people because we're nice people. And it's like, well, you know, what's your answer? And, you know, that's, that's the, you know, and I mean, yeah, okay, we might not agree on it all 100%, but there are lots of very good answers to those yeah, questions. Um, you just got to go look for them and wrestle with them and yeah, be says, like Evelyn War as opposed to this guy. This, um, <laughs> this, this, little, this little part here, I guess, sums it up somewhat well, is that um, he's talking about how, sorry, there's a conversation between the characters and, and the, the bishop says, you'll be justifying the Inquisition in a moment. <laughs> uh, and the, the, the uh, saint yes. says... Why? Because the Middle Ages erred in one direction. Does it follow that there is no error in the opposite direction? Well, it is extremely interesting, said the Episcopal Ghost. It is a cert- it is a point of view, certainly a point of view. In the meantime, it's this kind of like wanting to just... Um, Get back to my point. Well, no, no, not getting back to my point, but kind of like putting it into the... Oh, okay, so that's part of that theory, well, let's put that in a little nice little basket of theories over here that we can look out and explore. And kind of... No! Reality is here. <laughs> reality is right here, right it's now. It's very, very postmodern what he's... It's actually very postmodern what he's doing. And, I mean, look, postmodernism has some... has 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 been a pro- has been a productive exercise in some circumstances, but in, the, but in a lot of cases, it's just inane intellectualising that gets us nowhere. Yeah, it's... it's- there's a rather vivid metaphor that he uses that um, for for modesty's sake I won't I won't repeat, but he uses a rather vivid metaphor with regards to marriage. Um, but anyway, um, we'll go on to the next <laughs> the next section. Um, Victoria. Next story. Yes. Next I had story. Uh, two favorite stories, so I'll very quickly mention the first and then maybe spend a bit more time on the second. But the the two I really liked. Um, the first one was the. Uh, the mother, who finds herself at the, I don't know, the, the precipice, the the gates of heaven, perhaps, that, that area that we're in uh, in the book. And um, her brother comes to meet her in heaven, Reginald. Um, His name is Reginald. Reginald. <laughs> Good old Reg. And, um, oh, no. and she says, well, where's Michael? Why isn't Michael meeting me here? And then after a while, you find out that Michael's her son. And um, that she has this possessive all-encompassing but also corrupt michael's past michael's presumably a child who's passed away That's yeah you get the feeling he may have been like maybe a teenager but yeah. uh he passed away uh many too years soon. ago too soon left her with her um her husband and her daughter whom she ignored and basically made a monument to her own grief and um anyway the the spirit that meets her the the glowing fiery angel person is um saint is trying to is trying to just get her to to let go of this love to make room for wanting to to love something other than Michael and then later on something more than Michael which is God and um the bit I liked the most because um I was reading the problem of pain recently and wrong one I've got a few bookmarks so I'm just trying to find the one I want I was reading The Problem of Pain recently and discussing it with friends, and we were talking about how... Great book. Another great book by C.S. Lewis. By C.S. Lewis. And um, we were talking about how... Why people can be taken away from us. Um, why why there's a necessity for grief and why people die. And th- it, was, it was quite 
loaded conversation. Anyway, and I had a bit of a think about this part that I read. Let me start from here. Okay, so basically the mother is talking about how she believes in a God of love and about how she doesn't believe in a God that would take her son away. If he loved me, if he let me, he'd love me if he let me see my boy. If he loved me, why did he take Michael away from me? I wasn't going to say anything about that, but it's pretty hard to forgive, you know. And Spirit says, but he had to take Michael away, partly for Michael's sake. I'm sure I did my best to make Michael happy. I gave up my whole life. Human beings can't make one another really happy for long. And secondly, for your sake, you wanted your merely instinctive love for your child, tigresses share that, you know, to turn into something better. He wanted you to love Michael as he understands love. You cannot love a fellow creature fully till you love God. Whoa, major point there, may I just add. Sometimes this conversion can be done while the instinctive love is still gratified. But there was, it seems, no chance of that in your case. The instinct was uncontrolled and fierce and monomaniac. Is that how you say that? Monomaniac. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, monomaniac is the word. (laughs) Ask your daughter or your husband. Ask your our own mother. You hadn't once thought of her. The only remedy was to take away its object. It was a case for surgery. When the first love kind of love was thwarted, then there was just a chance that in the loneliness, in the silence, something else might begin to grow. And the funny thing about this story is that you actually don't find out how it ends. Um, you, you hope that Reginald convinces her, convinces her that she needs to let go of this possessive love of her son so that she can not only... Yeah, very unhealthy. So that she can not only have him, but, but God yeah. as well. And it's, that was one of the ones I really liked because it just... Oh, I loved it. The and fact- it's, 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 also, it's also one of the... It's also <clears throat> a really sensitive topic too because... It is. And the way he... The way he approaches it is is that, you know, because, you know, no one ever wants to say a mother's love is bad or that the love of a parents for their children is bad because it's not. But what that what that is is not love. Mm. No, it was possessive and corrupt and... Yeah, it was using Was leading someone. her away from God. Mm. Now... And- there was there was a um, a shout out. There was a, there was a shout out because when we get uh, feedback and suggestions, we like to acknowledge that on the show. Yes. So a shout out to Ben who suggested that we talk about the man and the lizard story, which but- is a favorite of Christopher West's, by the way, who's a theology of the body teacher over yeah. in America, and we highly recommend you go look him up sometime. You can see why. I mean, yeah. It's, it's an awesome story. It's like the pinnacle story, I think, of the entire thing. <laughs> it is thing. incredible. I was talking to a religious sister about this in, like last week, um, and she was asking me what I was reading. I said, I'm reading The Great Divorce, and she said, have you gotten up to the man in, in the lizard? And I said, I've just finished it. And our faces were just really happy and beaming. It was a great Catholic nerd moment. It was just awesome. Yeah. Um, and basically, this story is about a man, and... Um, his temperament is is what interests me the most, I think, because he's he's very polite and he doesn't really want to mm. put anyone out. And so you get the feeling that in all other matters of his life, he was quite a he decent was trying person. to be a decent person. And the fact is that he's walking around the um, I don't know the the semi heaven lands. The, the, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> you know, the precipice of heaven. Yeah, that place. And um, he's got this lizard on his shoulder, and he keeps telling him, you know, be quiet, be quiet. You can't say these things around here. And after a while, he just decides he's going to leave because he's inconveniencing people with the slightly embarrassing lizard, lizard, lizard. who will not leave. 
And um, a shining being, saint or angel. This actually, an angel. he's an this, angel. This, this yes. one's an angel. He's an, he's an angel, angel of fire. Yeah, who is not only bright, but is ac- actually has heat emit- em- emitting from him in this one. The rest have just been devastatingly bright. Um, comes over and is having a chat to him. And um, he's like, you don't need to leave. Do you want me to quieten this thing? And he says, oh, okay. Yeah, that's okay. And he says, may I kill it? And uh, it's quite abrupt, and and the man's were like, well, that's a different, that's a different situation altogether. I don't think that's necessary. You know, the old chap's just he's he's fallen asleep now. You don't even need to deal with him. And the angel is very persistent. He says, "Kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it." And you can get the you get the feeling that uh, you're not even the feeling. I think it's written down there that he is drawing closer, slowly reaching towards this. But he does need the final permission of the man to kill it. And the man's saying, "No, you're hurting me with your heat." And he said, "I didn't say it was going to hurt." Uh, I didn't say it was... I didn't say it wasn't going to hurt. Going to hurt. It's not going to kill you, but it's definitely going to hurt you. Uh, may I kill it? And after a while, after this lizard makes this one last attempt... Um, actually, it's it's quite interesting. Maybe we should read it. Should, um, yeah. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you, and he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could you live? You'd be only a sort of ghost, not a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. He's only a cold, bloodless, abstract thing. It may be natural for him, but it isn't for us. Yes, yes, I know there are no real pleasures now, only dreams. But aren't they better than nothing? And I'll be so good. I admit, I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. You might say, quite innocent. And the angel keeps asking the ghost, you know, have I your permission? And this is the beautiful thing about it is that that he won't do anything unless... He gets the go-ahead from the person. Like this, you know, uh, this is talking about how God will never take away our free our free will, and a lot of the time, our own destruction is because He's let us go down that that course of free will. It's an interesting tension, I think, there between between free will and He doesn't. So the 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 fellow himself doesn't kill it. No, he can't. It's the angel that kills it. He can't. He has does not have the capacity to kill it, but he needs to give his permission. For yeah. it to be killed. So, so it's an interesting tension there between the free will and grace. Yes, yes. Uh, that there's there's a need for the, the grace to be received by the disposition of the person, um, which is quite an interesting theological and- point by C.S. Lewis there because that's something of quite a bit of disagreement between different denominations of Christianity. And this is how it ends, you know. Um, oh. He goes... You know, the angel says, have I your permission? No, I know it will kill me. It won't, but supposing it did. You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then may I? Damn and blast you. Go on, can't you? Get it over with. Do what you like, bellowed the ghost. But in the end, whimpering, God help me, God help me. Mm. And that is the critical point there. Is that he had the humility to say, God help me, because... That was the only thing that was going to help him. Yeah, yeah. And then, Victoria, what what happens? What happens to that lizard? Well, there's this blood curdling scream. Um, unlike none has you know been been heard on earth. And um, the lizard is his back is broken and he's flung on the ground. And um, the man slowly becomes more solid. And you can tell he's you know he's entering into that 
more real than real state that heaven is. Um, and the the lizard in the end actually starts like writhing around and stuff, and you realize that it's growing into this large, gorgeous uh, gold and silver stallion. Um, and then the man gets onto which, the stallion, which, which uh, by the way, and by the way, he describes this uh, this stallion as having huge glossy buttocks. By the way, which I think <laughs> is rather significant because it just injects this reality into the fleshiness yes. of this because it's glorious. <laughs> that's, you, that's the only way to describe the backside of a horse, man. Yeah. By the way, it's, um, <laughs> sorry, Luke's just, I think I might have broken Luke. Um, he's just laughing. Um, <laughs> anyway, the man um, gets onto the horse and rides him towards the mountains, basically. And, and, and it's beautiful because you see that and it's just, it's discussed a little bit later that his, um, desires have become subject to him. He is now the master over his uh, passions, and now they serve him. Luke is currently not <laughs> Luke the is not of his passions, passions right? Of his, pa- his desire to laugh right now. Um, <laughs> but but that, it, and that like that is theology of the body in a nutshell. It is, and this is the you know that's why this is one of the reasons why Christopher West loves this sto- loves this story, and another reason why this story is so amazing because. It's how God transforms our sins, you know, at those because the desires that we have are not strictly bad in themselves. It's what we do with them, mm. and the root, you know, that desire can be transformed into something into the into the your ticket into heaven. And it's not as though the wounds are gone, no, but they've been transformed. That's really important and very important for the this uh, Easter season that we're that we're yeah. currently in. By the time this goes up. Um, is that Christ's wounds don't disappear. Don't disappear. No. They're still there, but they're a mark of victory rather than a mark of defeat. Um, and I think, I think that's where we should, we should, we should end. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so- definitely, if you weren't convinced to read it in the last episode, you should be convinced now. Yeah. Oh, um, and just a, just a note, because I did promise I would talk about this as well very, very quickly. Um, the, why is the, great it divorce. the Great Divorce? The Great That's Divorce, the there we go. Why, why is it called The Great Divorce? divorce? Um, it is a reference to a poem by Blake. Um, William Blake, that is. William Blake, sorry. Guy uh, just called Blake. Called- <laughs> it's a rap artist, Blake. <laughs> uh, po- uh, this grand poem. Sure, it's not Blake. Blake. where are you? Sorry, we're now quoting Key and Peele. But anyway. <laughs> um, this poem called The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, which was actually a response to... Um, this theological work by Emanuel Swedenborg, which talked about heaven and hell in this Manichaean sort of uh, way, which Blake divorced from flesh, which which Blake didn't agree with, and Blake's, so. Blake Blake's own uh, own interpretation is also incorrect because he was talking about this Heresies depolarized side of the road. yeah depolarized unified version of having needing both good and evil to survive. Yeah, see that's um, also Manichaeism, but in yeah. a different form. Irony and, so, and that's why he talked about <laughs> the, ma- trying. the marriage of heaven and mm-hmm. hell. And so you can obviously see C.S. C- Lewis has seen this and been like, no, there is the great divorce. And he even went so far as to put a little quote in the front uh, by his by his fave um, George MacDonald there we go <laughs> yes um, no there is no escape there is no heaven with a little of hell in it no plan to retain this or that of the devil in our hearts or our pockets out Satan must go every hair and feather so and that's the great divorce C.S. Lewis is saying no if you're 
And that's the problem that each of the characters, except the except the they wanted they man, wanted to keep parts that of they hell. wanted to keep parts of hell. And he's saying no, there must be a great divorce. Yeah, a, so there we go. A great divorce from sin and yes. evil, not from God. Yes. Go. <laughs> Boom. Boom. Okay. Done. That's great. Next week, I don't know what we're doing. I yeah. can't think of anything right now. You'll have to find out. We'll find out something that in the next ties episode. in with our uni readings or something. I don't know. Probably. Um, Aristotle, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't tie in um, with any of my uni readings. I'm just going to point that it out. Should. How about we do... How politics. About, how about we do the accidental Done. gorilla? The accidental gorilla? Go- yes. Pardon? Gorilla as That's in your monkey homework or... this week, listeners. Find out G- what you... the accidental gorilla is. Not, not, not the animal as in gorilla fighter. That would be much funnier. You mean funnier. like the gorilla would... gardeners? What? Like that show, the Gorilla Gardeners. Oh the yeah, that yeah, did yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, who, I'm thinking like, like there are gardeners who run around dressed up in gorillas. No, yeah, the ones like, that would be South funny. America, the ones that covertly garden. No, 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 no. Um, the accidental gorilla, as in gorilla fighter. Not. Okay. Oh, okay, we're not going to do any of those. No, but not. if we can find a book called The Accidental Gorilla, as in the animal, we're definitely going to do that. <laughs> yes. All right. Let us know. Bye. 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 That was an episode of Catholics Read from cradio.org.au.